Hey kids, it's Sarah. Sometimes I like to run out of town and go upstate with my buddies. Except in California, I don't call it upstate. I call it, let's go to Vegas, bro. Uh, Baboon is great for that. Baboon go bag is delightful. I have one. I like it. I use it. Baboon makes technical duffel bags for all of life's adventures. Every bag comes with free shipping and a lifetime guarantee. They come in two sizes, a small for carry-on and a large to check. Both sizes can be stuffed in a trunk, carried on your back, or dragged wherever your adventures take you. Vegas or beyond. See why Condé Nast Traveler is calling it the ultimate weekender. Visit baboontothemoon.com and enter code SARA to receive 10% off your purchase. That's B-A-B-O-O-N to the moon.com code SARA baboontothemoon.com code SARA everybody. Welcome to Where You're From, the podcast where we explore origin stories. I'm Sarah Benincasa, and our first guest is Ben Stiller. How cool is that? That's very exciting. I've been a comedian and a writer for a long time, and being able to say, our first guest is Ben Stiller is a, a life highlight, I think. I've known Ben for a few years, a little bit, and he's been uh, very cool, I would say, a bit of a mentor at times, and, and certainly a, a helpful individual in my career and in the careers of many comics, actors, writers I know. Just a neat person. And I was lucky earlier this year to visit him on set of the Showtime limited series Escape at Donimora, which premieres Sunday, November 18th at 10 p.m. East. It's about a prison break. And it's also about this very interesting three-way relationship of sorts between two inmates, played by Paul Dano and Benicio Del Toro, and a prison tailor, played by the incomparable, spectacular Patricia Arquette, I brought Ben into the studio because I wanted to talk to him about how growing up a New Yorker did or did not influence his work and his life. So he came in and we talked about pizza and drugs and something called Humble Lumberjack, which will truly change your life once you hear about it. Uh, we talked about a bunch of other stuff. Um, so sit back, relax, enjoy this interview with Mr. Ben Stiller. I'm here with Ben Stiller. Hi, Ben. Hey. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are things? Uh, things are good. Thank you. You are my first. First of all, thank you for being here. Of course. I, I'm glad you, it worked out. Yeah, me too. But second of all, you are my first um, New Yorker to be to oh. be on the program. Because we've I've talked to someone from kind of suburban Philly, suburban Jersey, Houston, but you are my first new yorker which is very exciting and i think yeah. you were like i'll just make up an origin story for you okay but i'm pretty that's sure that's what i was saying I, I feel like i don't like i don't qualify for your podcast because i don't feel like i have a hometown because new york is like a city well like a city it is a city but you but it's and, such a cool hometown to have yeah but it never there parts of growing up here felt like uh not like i guess i sort of well, we can talk, we can get into this later maybe, but idealize the idea of coming from a small town. That kind of Horatio Alger style story where you go to the big city and you make it. Yeah, or just not, because I didn't, never had that opportunity because just all of a sudden you're born and you live in New York City. And so it's sort of all you know as a kid, which was pretty cool as a kid, but I had nothing to compare it to. And I did start to meet people as I got older who weren't from New York. And I'd hear their stories about coming to New York or, you know, going in, out and going to college and figuring out where they where they wanted to live or what they wanted to do and where it was going to take them. And a lot of times it led them to New York or in show business, Los Angeles or New York are two popular destinations. So, you know, a lot of people come from all over and I kind of uh, envied that a little bit for sure. Well, there is a... I can say that growing up, I, I used to watch Squirt TV when mm -hmm. Jake Fogelnest was on Squirt TV and, and, and was like... How old is Jake Fogelnest? I feel like he, he's like this... Ageless. Uh, he's, he, I feel like he, <laughs> was, he was around in the 80s, but he's not old enough to really be that old. I don't, I, but he has this like vault of just information and memorabilia and access to like an entire history of pop culture from like 19... 70 on mention john waters and get the most intricate yeah. I mean, in, informed john waters information. he loves the 80s i feel I, just from my 
brief interactions with him. He's like really an 80s guy. And also, he just knows so much about punk and about, yeah, yeah. he's a, an encyclopedia but he was, um, human. He was doing a television show when he was three? He was three years old. He was like 12 or... Th- okay, Jake is a year older than me, so I'm okay. about to turn 38 later this month. I actually have oh. the same birthday as your assistant. We figured it out. Oh, my God. Very exciting. Um, I don't even know my assistant's birthday. I'll tell you off air. That's how sad. It'll be a secret. Well, I will say he and I are both Scorpios. Okay. And we discussed. What's his name? Um, uh, Jasmine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jasmine. He's a great guy. I just, Matt's great. just haven't gotten that close. Yeah, you haven't gotten that close. It's just like, you know. Um, but he's... Uh, I was like an Italian born on my birthday. We're probably probably related but um so uh so jake had this show called score tv that i guess he used to do a show on like some sort of neighborhood manhattan neighborhood you know the manhattan network like cable access and then it became this mtv thing yeah i don't i kind of remember his show though i i just remember squirt tv and i it was probably like manhattan cable yes or he cable must be 39 because right. I'm about to be 38. Okay. So Jake must be 39 or 40. But he has the soul of like a 60 year old. He, yeah, I, he I mean for that in a good sure. way. No, I do too. He has an, an ancient soul and he's somebody who I know I can always reach out to day or night if there were an issue and he would put if anything else aside and help, which is so interesting because he can, he's such a funny person who is, can, can be, is very like snappy and witty and all that, but he has a very good heart. This is a Jake yeah. Fogelnest fan podcast <laughs> does he have a podcast <laughs> he should but he's probably like no nah, i'm over podcasts i don't even know but he but Who, he grew up I, here oh, too okay. that's what i was I thinking did, yeah that was my, my my awkward segue into like he grew up here too and i remember watching the show his show when i was little and not little young uh and thinking wow what must it be like for these kids who grew up in new york city they probably get to see art and they get to do cool stuff yeah. and everything's cool all the time and I wonder if growing up you ever got bored of it or took it for – not take it for granted, but if you ever were just like – I, I doubt you walked around in wonder every day going, wow, I'm in the Big Apple. No, because you don't have any reference point other than your own experience, right? Right. I mean, I guess if you grow up in a small town, you have the idea of what it's like to live in a bigger city, right? Because you see it portrayed or you visit or see it in – in a movie or on a show. You dream of it because it seems so glamorous on TV or right, in a film. Right. And I think when you're living in this, I don't know, like living in the city, it wasn't something that I, I think I was more aware, as I, as I said, of the experience I wasn't having of living, you know, somewhere else outside of the city. And I enjoyed the city and knew that it was a, um, you know, a, a very special place and that it wasn't that I knew that everybody didn't grow up in New York but in terms of actually appreciating it when you're a kid I think it's hard to have that perspective did your parents send you to or did you ask to go to summer camp <laughs> I feel like that's a very I city did. kid thing uh, you're I supposed have... to go get nature yeah I mean my parents uh were New Yorkers you know from New York grew up my dad grew up on the Lower East Side and in Brooklyn, very poor family. Uh, my mother grew up sort of middle class in Long Island. Her dad was a lawyer, came to work in the city. Uh, and they, you know, they didn't have uh, that sort of, like, we're going to have a country house mentality or we're going to go away or we're going to send you off to uh, to camp to for the summers. It was very, it wasn't, it was a very, they were actors and they were, the work was always sort of, you know, taking them different places and we were always around that, but it wasn't sort of um, like some sort of traditional New York city upbringing in that way. Uh, So they eventually did get a house up in Nantucket, Massachusetts when I was about 15 years old and we started going there in the summers, but that was not until I was 15 and my sister was uh, almost 19 and camp was something that I did. (laughs) (laughs) For a couple of years, I never was a natural fit. I did day camp first, but uh, you know the city in the summer had a really great vibe. I feel like Spike Lee and Summer of Sam really got that like New York nineteen seventy seven vibe, like um, the the excitement, the fear, and the heat, I and think the, the heat, also ex- I, the, just the joy. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, just I don't know. It's the the texture of New York. You know the. Um, you know, just yeah, the smells, <laughs> <laughs> garbage strikes, the um, 
you know, the rats in the street at night. I mean, these are like, I, I know that it sounds wonderful, but uh, it's actually, those are the things that I remember so much as a kid, like the feeling of hanging out in front of my uh, uh, building with a doorman on my skateboard and just, you know, kind of like, you know, talking with my friend who lived on the first floor. We, we were on the fifth floor um, on, in, in an apartment on Riverside Drive and uh, in the 80s. So, uh, you know, hanging out in front and just talking to the doorman from the Dominican Republic, Pedro, who, you know, became like the guy who we hung out with probably more than my parents. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and the vibe, the feeling of that um, late at nights that, you know, it, I wasn't getting into it. As I got older, I... I guess as a teenager, then I was kind of hanging out doing teenager things. But, you know, even just pretty innocently, just kind of being around the neighborhood and, and you know, going up to Broadway and getting a slice of pizza or something like that was something you'd do. And the neighborhood was very, uh, you know, it was, there were a lot of different aspects to the economic uh, environment in terms of uh, Riverside Drive on the west side of Manhattan was different than if you went up to Amsterdam Avenue, two two blocks. Yeah, you east. walked only a little bit, a little way, and there's east. there's yeah. diversity on all levels: yeah. age, race, income, gender, all kinds of things. Yeah. Country of origin. It was all over the place. Uh, even like around the corner, like on 84th Street, uh, where my building was. If you went up to 85th Street, like one of my best friends lived in a building that was, you know, that definitely was like a tougher uh, little ecosystem there. And uh, it, it just was, it just varied because it hadn't been gentrified really or mm-hmm. homogenized. And uh, you grew up, you grew up in a more diverse Manhattan. Well, you grew up in a more, again, as I said before, diverse on all levels Manhattan than, than one sees today. Um, in that there were very, 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 very mega wealthy, very, very poor. And then a lot of people in between during like the seventies and eighties. And so my guess would be that you on an average day, um, probably interfaced with or saw a greater variety of people than somebody might. I mean, I don't know that neighborhood too well, so I don't know about the kids growing up there today, but it seems like it must be interesting for somebody who grows up in that kind of general environment to then go visit a place where everybody looks one way. That must be weird. Or everybody is from the same background. Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, it was just a little bit uh, more diverse, you know? And and it was, uh, and it was definitely the Upper West Side was not as, uh, you know, it was a little more dangerous. Uh, I went to school on 110th in Amsterdam. Mm. Uh, and I would just regularly get shaken down. <laughs> really you get mugged and stuff <laughs> yeah i don't know if you call it mug but we called it mug but it wasn't you know physically being uh assaulted but it was uh, it was people being kids. like give me your money <laughs> yeah or like like let me see your watch and then like they'd see my watch and like i had a shitty timex and i'd be like all right you can keep it <laughs> <laughs> let me see those sneakers yeah. all right those are mine yeah <laughs> i mean it was like that it was uh it just was part of life you know it was just you know 84th street between broadway and columbus my best friend lived, his parents were divorced, so his dad lived in my building on Riverside Drive, and his mom lived on 84th and uh, Central Park West. So Central Park West has always been sort of, you know, pretty wealthy, not, you know, not like the Upper East Side, Fifth Avenue, but, you know, sort of the West Side version of that. And Riverside Drive was, you know, kind of not quite as upscale, but a little bit more, like I said, like one block could be really nice, the next block not so great. But between Broadway and Columbus was pretty tough. It was an adventure. When I first yeah. moved to the city, it was to go to Columbia, to go to teacher's college for my graduate degree. And so I was, because I thought I was going to be a high school teacher. So I lived on 92nd between Columbus and Central Park West and in with like two or three roommates. And it was wonderful. And it was great. And it was a pretty safe neighborhood. But it was also, by safe, I mean that at any hour of the day, you could see a fight. You could see enormous wealth. You could see um, somebody. It, w- it was just, I feel like New York is a city where the whole like spectrum of human emotion gets played out in front of you sure. any yeah. given day. And I loved that because growing up as an anxious person with panic attacks and stuff, I loved knowing that I could on a street, I was never the most anxious person, <laughs> never the most. Somebody else would always be having some kind of a meltdown and just doing it out loud. And I love yeah. that about New York. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just part of, 
yeah, crazy people on the street. Mm-hmm. Just um, freaking out, and that was all right. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, just like a fully naked guy. Just, you know. <laughs> Which is having, cool. Had issues, yeah. <laughs> just doing his thing, and that's fine. <laughs> and also, I there's a, there's a, there's a pride I see in peop- some people who grew up in New York that comes from a lot of, I think, different places. But do you feel that? Are you proud to... Do you feel that? Like, yeah, I'm a New Yorker. I'm proud of that. Yeah. I mean, I feel... I don't kind of boast about it or anything, but I feel... <laughs> I feel like I've accepted that I am a New Yorker. I lived in LA for 20 years mm-hmm. and enjoyed that, um, but eventually felt like I, I needed to gravitate back back here. Does this feel more like, I mean, I love Los Angeles. I live there now, um, but I've been back here six times this year to the East right. Coast in right. some way. Does this feel more like you? Uh, well, it is me because it's just where I'm from. And it, it definitely, I mean, LA has so many great things. Uh, <laughs> you got the beach. You LA, got the mountains. Blah, blah, blah. I remember seeing like Adam Sandler on some Tonight Show or something like doing like the LA, New York, LA, New York, LA, New York. <laughs> it's such a tired old, you know, debate. But it's basically, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in, in Los Angeles. I always found that you had to kind of, you know, you had to make your own adventure there. You had to create your own. You do. You had to create your energy and you had to create, uh, you know, even just connecting with people. Um while in New York, you can just go out and uh, and it's just out there on the street. When you go out there, for better or for worse, sometimes it's not so great. You know, sometimes you don't want to deal with that energy. And then there's the just the reality of the weather here. And it, uh, I remember I heard Jerry Seinfeld once saying he liked living in New York because it was harder. Like it didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't get his complacent. I thought that was, you know, pretty accurate. It's you have to just you know fight through stuff and go. You know, like if the traffic's bad, you just you know. Subway is faster. It might not be the, might be packed or, you know, might not want to like love going on the subway. Yeah, it might smell like vomit, but you're going to get somewhere faster yeah. and you're going to deal with it. Usually that's where you'll find the, a greater share of the naked or For crazy sure. people. Oh, yeah, just naked people, people <laughs> defecating. But well, then there's also, always like some crazy. I mean, the thing about weird. I habit. mean, that, that, not, you know, I've never seen that, but definitely like on a subway car, like one out of every. If you ride it enough, like, and I, I don't ride that often, but I definitely, t- it's more convenient. I like took my son on a couple of days ago just to go uptown. And he hasn't ridden the subway that much. He's thirteen. Uh, my daughter, sixteen, she goes on the subway now a lot. Um, but you know, just it, it's one. Maybe, I'd say like one out of every seven or eight rides, you'll get like a person who just decides to plant themselves in the middle of the train and make a speech to the car about you know what what they need what's wrong with the world or you know why they need money and you know i it, people you know it's, it's real life but it's it's really in your face yeah um, there might be a dance part i've had people do backflips in oh, front yeah, of me a yeah. foot away sometimes which is cool right sometimes it's entertaining but you know a lot of times it's a little <laughs> bit like it's threatening um but I, you know it's also like you just kind of like see of course that everybody sort of accepts that and I don't think it's necessarily bad because it's, uh, you know, I think it can be a little isolating in Los Angeles because you're just not, um, you don't have to interact with people and do the nature of how you be in your car to get places. And when you see somebody on the street, it's always weird. I think it's always strange when you see a pedestrian on the street from, from your car. You're like, For sure. That? It's weird that person's walking. Are they okay? Where are they going? Why? why? <laughs> you know? I think it's a lonely, I... I think that Los Angeles is perhaps the loneliest place I've ever lived. And I say that having wonderful friends there, having really loving the city and enjoying it. But you can be you can be siloed off. I mean, coming up in stand up in New York, by the time I moved out there, I had and I don't do stand up much anymore, but I had so many friends who'd gone out there already that I felt like I cheated kind of by moving out there. But even with that, if I'm having a sad day or a depressed day and I'm in L.A., and I just, I'm, I don't really need usually to go out for any reason. Whereas in New York, you're going to need to go out. You don't have your little pod. I mean, you know, you might have your car or be driven somewhere, but if you get into the subway, you're immediately surrounded by people. So it's this constant distraction, which in that sense, I think can be a mental health benefit because it becomes, I mean, I can be navel gazing as hell, but if there's somebody doing back backflips in front of me in the subway, it takes me out of myself for yeah, a moment. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is a healthy thing. Um, do you think that you're, I'm sorry to jump in, but I was just, I just had this memory of doing the Brooklyn book festival like four years ago or something. And I was, I was moderating, um, 
It was like supposed to be Susie Essman, Bob Saget, and John Leguizamo, but Susie couldn't come, so it was just them and me. We went to Junior's Cheesecake in Brooklyn afterwards, and I was like, it was interesting because people clocking how people reacted to Bob were very exciting when they would see him on the street. It took us so long to get to Junior's Cheesecake. They were excited to see Bob because they had a feelings of emotion about him when we're fans, but the way that they reacted to Leguizamo, to John, was so specific because it was so like, you're from here, you're our right. friend. And I wonder if people, not you're my friend, but when people know you're from New York and you're a, a famous person, you're an actor of note, director of note, what have you, people react in a certain way. And I wonder if you feel ever that they kind of are like, that guy, he's a New Yorker. Like he's, he's not one of us, but he is one of us. No. I, every once in a while, you know, I, I'll feel that, um, you know, uh, but you know, it's almost like, um, like a, it doesn't, I don't, I don't really feel that. I feel like sometimes like a, you know, some like cops will be like, Hey, how you doing? Or, you know, hey, still like, how you doing? Yeah. Um, or, you know, firemen and which I, I love that. That's awesome. I, you know, appreciate, appreciate what they do. Um, I felt like that at nine 11, I think, um, mm. I was living in LA, um, but I felt very connected to the city and came back um, uh, right after, because actually, because Zoolander was coming out, I remember was coming out, and uh, like <laughs> like twelve days after, which was just like the worst experience. So, uh, you know, I had to come back and and try to do press for the movie, Jesus. which just was weird, uh, and. I had a chance to go down to Ground Zero, and that's when I felt really connected, and felt very proud to be uh, a part of the city, and and felt connected to to what was going on because I because it was you know to to watch something like that happen when it's it is your home and your uh, the place that you 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 know grown up and see that kind of uh, devastating thing happen. Uh, knowing that my family was there, so that feeling that everybody had when, like, oh my God, are you know, are they okay? That's you know, that's something that really connected me to the city. And then being able to go around down at Ground Zero when I was there and just meet uh, people who were in the process of of doing all that uh, rescue work was that felt like that's when I felt like okay, I'm really, I really feel connected to this city and feel proud to be a part of of uh, this place, but. Um, I remember that you know that, but that's like that. that's the only time I can remember like feeling like okay like a connection with fellow New York it's not that I don't feel on the street but like people will come up and say hi or they'll you know but a lot of times like every neighborhood in New York is different like, I feel like <laughs> certain neighbors in New York they kind of look at you in LA too where they're like oh yeah that guy yeah, it's that okay. guy yeah and you know it's hard to, you can't like get into people's heads or I don't have any desire to get into their right. head to understand what they're feeling or thinking but uh when people do react in a way that is really uh, warm and outgoing, it's it's very you know it's it's always a very nice thing. It's because it's a genuine uh, emotion that someone's putting out there, and, and you know you feel it when it's genuine, and that and that's and that you know New Yorkers can be that way. That's but, what's um, so funny. But I, don't, I wouldn't just limit that to New Yorkers. I mean, I think that's for people who you know all, all different places. But it's interesting. Certain neighborhoods in New York, I feel, are uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, the Upper East Side has, you know, it's not the stereotypes of, of what people are like, but it's a little bit like that sometimes. I look more of a stiff. I, I would think of the Upper East Side as being more of like a stiff upper lip sort of fancy pantsy. That's what I, my <laughs> yeah, stereotype I mean, that's is. Sort of the stereo- yeah, that's the stereotype. But I think people, you know, you literally do see people like, oh, that guy's like the preppy guy. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I remember being down in, uh, on the Lower East Side, like maybe eight or nine years ago and. My dad grew up on the Lower East Side, and back when it was, you know, a neighborhood immigrants, and you know, his parents, and I think his dad was born here, and his mom, but their parents, you know, had come over from Eastern Europe, and uh, so they grew up in the. Um, he grew up in the Lower East Side when it was, you know, it was an immigrant neighborhood, mm-hmm. not when it was like the hipster neighborhood. Right, it where now. it's fancy, it's got like fancy stuff. They've knocked down ten old tenements and yeah. built all over. And I remember some woman. I was like walking outside some restaurant. I went to eat at some restaurant when it's very kind of, uh, you know, of the moment sort of place. This is like eight or nine years ago. And some woman looked at me. And I was walking down the street, and she said, like, "What are you doing down here?" 
Uh, and I remember thinking like, wow, that's really like, what does that even mean? Yeah, <laughs> is she excited I, like or she, disturbed or what's I don't happening? Know. She obviously, I think she was like, saw my, my like quick sort of, you know, assessment of it was that, oh, she saw me as guy from the movies that was, maybe she didn't think of me as a New Yorker. She just thought of me as, I don't know, some, for some reason in her hipster mind, I wasn't, like I was wasn't cool enough to be there, or I was too mainstream. What to are be. you doing? Your movies open this, wide. Why yeah, are you here? That was almost. <laughs> I mean, it was like just like yeah, like, and I kind of went through this gamut of reactions in my mind of like being like hurt first of all that I wasn't hip enough, and then <laughs> like like my grandparents, and then I had dead. yeah exactly. Then like this resentment is like I'm a New Yorker. I'm allowed to go, and then my father lived here as a child when you know in the. Godfather times. You know, what are back you doing was... here? Are you yeah. in a band now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. But that's a, that, you know, there's all different types of reactions people I, have. I think like the, I mean, it, it is very interesting when being with a friend who gets recognized because um, people project so, so, so much onto um someone whose face they're accustomed to seeing on screens. And I know I'm not telling you something you don't know intimately, but <laughs> as somebody who doesn't, you know, once in a while I'll get recognized by like readers. Right. But they're mm -hmm. usually like, Oh, thank you so much for writing that book. Or, Oh, I liked that novel. You did. You know, it's like very, it's right. very different. It's not, there's no kind of adulation. It's like, Oh, there's an, you should, there's a nice lady who wrote a book that I like. It's not like freaking out. But being with friends who for whom that happens is very interesting because you want to hold space for your friend. And it's the idea like, do am I protective here? Do I show? Because some of them, when it's like new to them, um, really freak out or they just get so into it. And it's so interesting. At this point, I'm sure you're so you're quite accustomed to, you know, getting a variety of reactions. And I, I wonder if when you were growing up, I don't know if I've ever. I don't know if I ever asked you this, but like, did you. Did you know you wanted to be a director? Did you know you wanted to be an actor always from day one? I did. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a director from, not from day one, but from like day... <laughs> day one at day the 10, hospital you were born like in. Day 8,000. Like <laughs> what, how many days till you could turn like nine years old? Uh, 365 Three, times nine, nine is... <laughs> I wasn't good at math. I didn't do 3, well in the SAT in math. Day, day 3,000 or something. <laughs> uh, that's when I, I knew, like when I was, yeah, when I was about nine years old, I knew that, oh, I love movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, saw I would go to the movies and go over and over again to movies that I liked, and then started making Super Eight movies. Uh, my dad got a camera, and, and that was it. Yeah. So then, and then the acting thing sort of developed a little bit later in my teens, and then I always was going back and forth between acting and directing, and trying to figure out what, like, which I wanted to do more, how to do either, and was you know constantly still figuring it out really but it's you know it's it's always been something that I, I loved both you're it turns out you're good at both of them that's the rumor people um, people say i got that i definitely <laughs> i i was really not good at acting in the beginning in terms of acting like i think i always had like i, I don't think i was that great I, I think i had something which you know my parents really talented mm -hmm. um i Agree. Had Hard a, agree. Yeah. No. I agree. Very no, they, enthusiastically. Yeah. No. And, and so, you know, but in different ways and very different ways and, and very different attitudes towards acting. My mother and my father, my dad always wanted to do comedy. I don't think my mom wanted to. Um, and I definitely wasn't into comedy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, you're an incredible dramatic actor and it's really interesting to think about the fact that personally as a fan um i obviously encountered you first uh on the well not obviously but i remember watching the your show the ben stiller show when i was um i don't know how old i was but um for no i'm gonna be 38 <laughs> so i was probably like 12 or 13 because i feel like i was read i don't know if i read about it in sassy magazine or what but i was maybe I was, sassy yeah probably sassy i think i did a sassy interview you did do a sassy I interview did, i remember I? it you were, in, you were in the edit for reality bites i right. fucking remember it I remember that. it's really funny when i meet people and i'm like you were in sassy somebody so one funny. of those sassy um years later i would write for like uh jane pratt for a site she had jane and, pratt, and yeah. i remember like I remember one of the set, the first time I noticed one of the sassy writers who it's, you know, how many years later followed me on Twitter. That was like a bigger deal. That yeah. was almost like if LeBron James followed me on Twitter, right. 
But sure. like, I remember reading about your show and watching it and loving it. So I came to know who you were as a comedic actor. Right. But I feel like now, maybe, I, I don't know, like, I think of you as obviously a multi-hyphenate, but such a director. Like, the way you look, seem to look at the mm-hmm. world is so through a director's eyes. Yeah. I mean, I love acting and I love comedy. I just at first didn't have that. It wasn't that thing like, oh, I got to be on stage being funny. I never figured out how to do stand-up comedy. I, I took Ugh, a, don't I, try. I, I took a stand-up yeah. class when I you was did. like, there was a class at the improv. Uh, Who taught this Mar- class? I think Marty Freeberg. You know, huh. he, he was he was like this old school comic, really nice guy. I knew my parents, and he taught a class there, and. If I remember correctly, and I think I took it. My sister might have taken it also, and I was so bad. I was so not good. Stand up is. I say I this is trying- a stand up. It's a garbage profession. No. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love it. But it's not garbage. But it is. It is an art, and it yeah. is so hard. It's the hardest. I think it's the hardest thing you can do as a performer in show business, as a live performer, because you're on your own. You have to generate your own material. You have to keep on coming up with new material. You have to find a voice. You have to engage an audience it's just it's all really challenging they're all eating chicken fingers and it's stressful and at some point they do the check drop and it's like yeah, and drinking they're there's drinking they're so yeah. drunk and in some ways people said to me um at one point when i started doing stint they're like well you had this promising career as a high school teacher and i was like honestly it's very similar because some of my adolescents would come in high or drunk and they're mad and some of them don't want to be there and that's the, at a club sometimes the audience is so thrilled and other times they're like who is this i came here to see somebody five people before right it's right. really like and it takes so many hours of, of doing it over and over again i mean when people ask me for advice <laughs> wrongly ask me for advice about wanting to be a stand-up comic because i you know i i just say it's i think it's the hardest thing you can do it takes years and years to get good um it takes a while i don't think i, I ever never, got there i never wanted to i never really wanted to engage in it because i just felt like it wasn't it just wasn't my thing did you take acting classes? I did, yeah. Did you like acting classes? I did. I, I quit college. I went to college for less than a year. Oh, wow. Where did you go? UCLA. Okay. Yeah. And you said, nope. <laughs> Not for me. Um, who needs college? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going back to I get was a really, on Broadway. Well, that's, this gets back to me not being a good actor. Like, I was really in a rush to... At that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to start acting and then I'm going to start directing things and doing. And I figured out like, oh, I do have like a comedic sort of uh, thing that I want to do. And uh, so I quit college because I was just in too big a rush to make it all happen. And of course, it didn't happen for a long time (laughs) because I wasn't that good. I needed to get better and like just get more experience and get used to uh, auditioning. I was a really bad auditioner. Would you do you remember going to auditions in? I, I mean, at the time, like when you started auditioning consistently, I, were you in New York or LA at that point? I was in. I was in New York. I mean, I quit. I, I used to. I auditioned a little bit when I was a teenager before I, I graduated high school and got a couple of little parts. Uh, I did a soap opera. I come in for a couple of weeks every year on Guiding Light for two years. That's so cool. Every year, two years. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. I remember guiding light. Yeah. I was about 16 and, uh, what was your role? Were you a troubled teen? No, I was a nice teen who was the son of the surgeon, Dr. Ed Bauer. I was Freddie Bauer. Freddie. And I came in for two years around Christmas time. So I was so bad. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. My sister still makes fun of me. <laughs> she does her impression of my, I had one line right to come in and say, Hello, Eve. <laughs> I believe it. I was and right there. And she'll do her hello, Eve, to me still. <laughs> hello, Eve. Like with this sort of tremble in my voice. And then I had to play chess with my father. And the actor who was playing my father worked out the moves for our little chess game for the scene. And I was so nervous. I just told, I didn't know how to play chess. I just totally fucked it all up when we when they filmed. And because you only did like a quick rehearsal and then they shot the scene because it was, you know, they shoot an hour a day for um soap opera anyway so i was really bad i was there for two christmases uh then the next christmas my character came back and he was like six foot two and 20 years old (laughs) they do a thing on soap (laughs) operas too i don't know if they still do it but um they do it my parents are big general hospital heads and when a new actor walks in 
taking on the role. They go, introducing Joe Schleckenbach. And then they, I, as recently as a few years ago, I saw that happen. Oh, really? Like to yes. like let the audience know we are, yes. we're acknowledging that it's a new actor. There's a yeah. voice of God of sorts that mm-hmm. comes in and just says it. They pause for a moment. It happens. And I remember, I mean, it was less than 10 years ago that I last remember seeing that. It was this old trope yeah. because so, I don't know why, but so many of those um, soap operas came out of old audio series. They came right, out of old. Right. Like, radio, yeah, radio. yeah. Uh, audio series. Audio series. Also, audio series that was broadcast <laughs> through radio waves. I've, have you heard of it, Ben? It's wonderful. <laughs> so many times lately I get asked to go into a podcast network to pitch scripted. Like, we want to do scripted. And they've been starting to do it because they want to own the IP and then pitch it. <laughs> scripted for podcasts? TV. Yeah, they want to do audio drama. So it's just coming full circle back yes. to radio. <laughs> I was talking to my grandma about it before she passed away. And she was like, Are you kidding? Like, the shadow? And I was like, Yeah, like, yeah, it's like that. Yeah, they're reinventing radio. My brother's been listening to one called Johnny Dollar from, like, it's rebroadcast on Sirius XM. It's about some sort of insurance claims adjuster with, a, or maybe he's an investigator with a limitless budget. So it's a limitless engine for story because every episode he's investigating some new thing that might be a crime or did it happen naturally? Wow. Listen, this is me soft pitching you Johnny Dollar, <laughs> the TV series for Red Hour. Um, as long as we can own the rights. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's and like then, fighting uh, for Johnny Dollar. I would get it on the air as a series and then we'll do a podcast <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fans yeah. of the show. And then a podcast about a, a BTS, a behind-the-scenes podcast about that podcast. Of course. God, we're going to make so much money together on Johnny Dollar. <laughs> I'm excited. I wish I had invested in podcasts when they were invented. Just the podcast, I don't know, whatever the, the... Like buying early Apple stuff. trademark for podcasts. <laughs> yeah, like if you had trademarked it, that'd be great. It's, it's a great really, legacy. off the hook, the podcast, uh, <laughs> Would you, would you ever, when you were younger, did you ever think about, because New York is such a radio rich city. I mean, I did two years of Sirius XM, which is not, I'm talking about like what they call terrestrial, which is so silly, but real New York City. Like, I mean, did you ever think about going into radio as a kid? Uh, No, I liked the radio a lot when I was a kid. Do you remember what you would listen to? Uh, I listened to, I mean, there were like some rock stations, WPLJ. Yeah. You remember WPLJ? Yeah, I listened yeah. to WPLJ. PLJ was very cool. I think, who is it? Like Meg Griffin, was she DJ? I think in the 70s, that's before your time, but Meg Griffin, I think, was on WPLJ and was super cool DJ. Um, I might be making this up, but I think Mark Goodman, who was on MTV, was... On the radio in New York, maybe on WPLJ. Oh, they took that, a lot of their yeah. initial VJ people. From, I remember to. Yeah. I remember seeing the first VJs on TV and all that. Yeah. Yeah, JJ Jackson, all that. Like that was. I mean, that to me, like I, a lot of like kind of visceral memories of the beginning. Because also my first show that I ever had was at MTV, and, and so before we did the Fox show, and so I just you know MTV and the, how that the excitement of all that was just that was a, that was a really special time because it was all really new and people were really excited about it and then they were showing videos and doing comedy and people were like they were just like the first thing i did the sketch show was half they gave us a half hour and they said if you show it's like 15 minutes of videos you can do 15 minutes of comedy that's great and we're like all right great and then, but but you have to figure out a way to work the videos into your comedy sketches <laughs> i remember yeah but i did i did love the radio i loved oh. I loved listening to WNYC late at night. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a show, it was classical, that they would play it late at night. There's a show called While the City Sleeps. That's a great title. It was awesome. And I like used to put that on at night when I go to bed. And I it was just like, I remember the theme song. I think it was like, the theme song was some classical piece that I don't know what the name, but I remember what it sounded like. It was really, I found it very soothing. And I remember laying in bed and looking out the window of my apartment, you know, my bedroom window that kind of looked over the rooftops of some brownstones and just, just like, you know, feeling kind of transported. And those, those are great memories. By the, Alone in my bed. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's what you're describing. I mean, is I, a moment were, of I, peace yeah, in a I, city that is always going. Yeah. You know, my, I was, you know, bar mitzvah, but I was, I remember waiting for Santa Claus to come. <laughs> Well, your you, you family was of, of mixed religious heritage, right? Well, my mom was Irish Catholic, mm-hmm. 
and my dad was Jewish, but my mom converted to Judaism before we, my sister and I were born. Which at that time, I'm sure was a huge, I mean, it's a huge deal now. I'm sure it was a huge deal at it the time. At the time, it was a big deal. Yeah. And she was really into it. And But we always had a Christmas tree and a menorah. We had both. It was just all presents. It was, there was no real religious, you know. Uh, I mean, there was like, we'd go to synagogue for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Is it still there, the synagogue you went to? Yes. Do you remember your Torah portion? I don't. I <laughs> I remember like I just remember Barhuet Adonai Habarach Adonai Habarach Lalam Ba'ed. Is that or maybe that's just a is that just a prayer? I don't Why know. Am I asking was, you? I don't know. First of all, I'm a shiksa. Second of all, that was very <laughs> sexy. Am I looking at you like you <laughs> ben, know that was a very about. foreign, sexy, exotic experience I just had. I was I didn't like, do ooh, the, the actual like intonations and all that. But apparently, <laughs> I, I modulated keys during my bar mitzvot. The, the um, Henry Ziegler, who was the head of the um, of the synagogue, he wasn't the rabbi, but he was sort of like the guy who was like I don't know, the president or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember him hearing that he said to my parents or something that I modulated keys. Which is that is, good? It's not good. It's not good. That is not a compliment. <laughs> I, uh, I had a and, and you know what else? It was talking about, it was weird at my bar mitzvah. Um, the local sportscaster at WCBS TV was a guy named Warner Wolf, who was like. Pretty famous local yeah. source. He was at my bar mitzvah. What? Who invited him? He Mom, was, dad? He was, no, I think he was a member of the congregation. <laughs> and he came for Saturday services and was at my bar. And I remember being like, oh, shit, Warner Wolf is here. <laughs> you should have just stopped and talked about the Yankees in the middle or I something. Mean, I was starstruck, for sure. Did you, do you pick an, uh, forgive my ignorance in this regard, do you pick a specific, like, um, well, no, this isn't. I'm sorry. I'm getting mixed up in my head with confirmation. Ugh, just putting my shicks of bullshit on you. Religion, yeah. yeah, it's totally different religion. Uh, not as cool. I'll say that. Uh, I picked Juliana as my. And by the Our way, name. I read the confirmation. I don't know if this is true, but I read the confirmation for Catholics was just like many things that 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 they do <laughs> that I did grow was just like stolen from juice. They were like, oh, really? oh they have a bar moment, so that seems cool. We need a ceremony of some kind. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that they were just like, that seems fun. But a coming of age ceremony right. is important, I think, in a in a culture usually. And um Yeah, I got bar mitzvah. my sister didn't do it. Um she's like, whatever. Yeah, I don't whatever, know. Whatever man, you can't tell me what but, to you know, do. Because also you had to do work leading up to it and i was in a children's theater company at the time and uh-huh. i remember being overloaded with school and rehearsals for the show we were doing and my bar mitzvah uh, training was there a party was there a theme party i grew up very being very jealous of bar mitzvahs bat mitzvahs and quinceañeras yeah because they all sounded cool to me well you know now it's crazy what, what they do with the bar mitzvah parties it's a, it's a wedding yeah, and they have rappers, and they spend. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, we did not have that when I. You didn't I, have a rapper. No, I mean my our bar mitzvah, my bar mitzvah party was in the basement of the synagogue, Stephen Wise synagogue, and actually, I, I as a gift, um, this uh, a woman who uh, works for my parents, Dawn, who's just an amazing person, worked with them thirty years, had saved my parents saved a lot of stuff and she put together a book of uh the invitations and the bills and everything having to do with my bar mitzvah that my parents oh, would I save yeah and uh it was so low-key you know it was just like you know literally just like a little catering company basement of the synagogue i played with my my friend jonathan we had a little uh band we didn't really have like a, a name for the band or anything, but we played together so we played let it be oh that's cool hey gang thanks so much for listening to the show you can support the show at patreon.com slash sarah benincasa and if you join at the 20 dollars per month or above tier you get a shout out by name on an episode so thank you aaron reynolds thank you david grassy mcdaniels thank you jack moore you all rock patreon.com slash sarah benincasa you had abandoned high school right i saw you yeah. put something up on instagram about it yes i did i i was i was it wasn't a real band and that we didn't play out anywhere but we recorded an album it was the band was called capital punishment it's <laughs> a good amazing yeah. name. and uh the album was called roadkill love it 
and I love all of this. it was very experimental and really we were not good. Um, Chris, who, who was the leader of the band was good. Um, but we were all sort of learning the instruments and he self-funded the album and we, God bless Chris. And we made, we pressed like, I don't know, like 500 LPs and, uh, they then took them to record stores and then nothing ever happened Was it until more... 35 years later. And <laughs> yeah. some company found like they, apparently somebody found a box of the albums and the outsider music world became aware of it. I didn't know there was an outsider music <laughs> I didn't world, either. but, uh, they became aware and they, uh, and they approached, uh, Chris about releasing, re-releasing the album or I say releasing cause it never got leased. It was never, it was, it was, it was never released. It just, so, but so now it's been released, but not re-released <laughs> and, uh, it's available now. It's but so I, weird. Did you buy I, it? I, yeah, I mean, I got a free copy and it's, uh, on Spotify, which is so weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Cause it's like a thing we it, literally, it was like something I play for my kids as like, you know, like, Hey, I look at what I did 30 years ago and they like laughed about it. Now it's actually something that people can purchase. <laughs> so the musical aspect is interesting to me because I, I feel like you, you I mean, you wanted to be an actor and, a, right. and also a director and we're kind of negotiating that, figuring that out. Was there any point at which you decided, Oh my God, I want to, this is rock and roll, man. This is what I want to do. I know you guys didn't yeah. play out, but no, I never, I, I was interested, you know, I loved the Beastie Boys when I was a They're late so teenager and they really affected my, uh, life because <laughs> I was like, oh wow. Cause I could, you know, see myself in them. I was like, that, that would be cool. They're like, like Jewish badasses from New York. They're yeah. cool dudes. And, uh, when they were happening and run DMC at the same time, I was really, I got really got into that. And then me and my friends tried to cut a couple of rap, uh, <laughs> tracks. Like funny, kind of funny, quote unquote, funny rap tracks that weren't very good. One was called Humble Lumberjack. <laughs> uh, and then there was actually, there was actually like one called Rap Mitzvah that Jonathan Larson wrote the music to. Uh, who, How and, old were you? you I mean, this were... was later. This was like, okay. uh, I mean, 20 something maybe. And John wrote the music and lyrics. We did it. I, I forget how, what how it came about and that wasn't that great but it was better than humble lumberjack for sure <laughs> humble lumberjack is the genius, best so. title yeah. though humble lumberjack backwoodsman i would like to that was... <laughs> soft pitch you humble lumberjack backwoodsman as i don't care just your next project a podcast a podcast that could then become a show that could then have a podcast about it and you'll own all the intellectual property That's right. rights to and I feel like I was an Upper West Side kid. I was sort of sheltered in a lot of ways, but then also had a period where I was, you know, hanging out with my friends and going to parties and, you know, experimenting a little bit with drugs for a second. And um, Did you like, did you get into any of them for a minute? I, I did not. Um, I'm not good at drugs. I, I, I've told this story before about I was, I took LSD Oh, cool. I was about 16 and that was not cool. Did it, you throw up? It was even worse. I just like, I, I've like had one of those like bad trips where I was like, what is happening? What's going on? Who am I? Panic attack. Uh, it was really scary. Yeah. And of course it happened because I went to a party, uh, with my friend Jonathan and we were, he went to Columbia prep, which was a school on the, on uh, close to Central Park West. I believe it was actually on my street that I used to live on. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but the elementary might... was. Yeah. The elementary school was. Um, so what year were you born? I was born 1980. Okay. This would have been right. So you might have, as an infant, might have been <laughs> heard me <laughs> screaming on the street. Because um, I was, I yeah, so I took I took one tab of acid and then at this party and then like like the classic, like nothing's happening, man. Let's take another. Oh, no. And it literally like freaked me out for two years of my life. I was like, so I got so freaked out because I thought I was going to have a flashback. It was just so scary. And I was, like, I remember just like his, the friends we were with weren't cool. And you were very close to like, what was that? Um, 
that uh, TV movie of the week that Helen Hunt did. I think it was a young Helen Hunt where she ran out. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember. She ran out the window. It was about the dangers of drugs. All right. And she, I think it was Helen. I'm not sure, but it was it was an actress who later became biggest like, in adult. Go, go ask Alice. So it, she well she runs. It wasn't go ask Alice. No, that's pre Helen Hunt. But she like ran. She freaks out on drugs. And she runs straight out the window and falls to the ground. The oh, window, yeah. and it was this classic like moment. And I, I was, I remember being. Um, it was part of some clips reel that they played back for this actress on some show, and she was cracking up. I don't remember who it was. And I was like, it. But that was kind of what we were also, I think, taught for a long time was that if you do any drug at all, you will feel that way and be in danger of that. So not right. only did you actually have the bad experience, although not jumping out a window, you probably were correctly afraid based on the information you've been given that it could like come back it could come and get you it could yes. come back yeah yeah that was the fear that i had the flashback and then and then you know but i don't even think it wasn't even that like i hallucinated that much but it was just that feeling of sort of being out of control it was really scary i had a panic attack the first time i smoked pot oh really <laughs> and uh, didn't smoke i mean i didn't smoke pot until i was 21 i didn't have sex until i was 21 i didn't smoke pot until i was 21 i don't oh. think i was drunk until i was 23 and so I started, I was a late bloomer, uh, even for rural New Jersey, where I grew up, I was a late bloomer. Now having children, that's, I'm, that's good to hear. It's good, right? I, yeah. Yeah. I just want them to not, never do any of those things ever. <laughs> just don't at all. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, but that's, that's interesting. It yeah. was interesting. And it was, uh, one would think that because I had watched other people do drugs up until that point and heard stories about sex and drugs and all kinds of stuff that I would somehow be wiser about it. Uh, not so much. And now I, I've never been married, but I, I realize I've been applying the same logic going, well, you know, you've, you've lived through other people's right. marriages. <laughs> like, no, you have to have the experience yourself to find out that maybe you don't like LSD, but you do like, I don't know, mushrooms. Like, I don't right. know. But it's interesting. You got to a certain point and you said, oh, no, now I'm going to try it. Like yeah. a lot of people get to that point and they go, I'm never going to do this, you know. I didn't try it because like I was Trump, scared. You know? Yeah. He was like, ah, no, never going right. to do it. And that's why he's such a solid person. Can you imagine if he had a beer? He'd be so it? cool, man. He'd be so chill <laughs> today. We'd be like, this but is a dope dude. He's cool. It is, though. Like certain people just like, go, oh, I'm never going to do that. Mm -hmm. And if you get that far along in life, you know. Like, what's the point of starting yeah. now? I never right. did it before. Right. Um, but I learned my lesson, I feel like, with LSD things. Like, okay, I don't like hallucinogenic drugs like that. Did you go through, not asking for details, yeah. but did you go through kind of a wild party phase at some point living in New York um, in yeah, your what, 20s? Yeah. What, in my 20s, not really. Um, I think in high school, there was that experimentation and with pot too, and uh, but never like getting crazy and being like, I was never that rebellious. I was... Uh, yeah, I was more connected to like uh, home. Did you have a curfew? No, no, we didn't have a curfew. <laughs> we had a, a Jamaican housekeeper named Hazel, <laughs> and she basically my parents would be like out in L.A. working or on the road, or, and and Hazel would you know corral us, and she was like our second mom. And uh, did she keep you guys in line? Yeah, she did, but like we would then push the limits, and you know she was also kind of a softy too because she you know. She was very sweet, and she. So we were. I remember though, like the night that John Lennon was shot. Wow. Um, so I li lived on, you know, I was on 84th Street, and and the Dakotas on 72nd Street. And I was a huge Beatles fan, and uh, when I heard that he had been shot, I went downstairs to my friend Jonathan's apartment, and we went to the Dakota, wow. and we were just you know, freaked out and we're part of that crowd that was just outside of the Dakota all night. It's a vigil. Yeah. Chanting, give peace a chance. I remember that we we're chanting, give peace a chance. And then everybody was clapping like, all we are saying is give peace a chance. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I started a double clap. <laughs> like all we are saying, it was like, all we are saying give peace a chance <laughs> so i started the double clap which caught on that's and i remember cool. being like wow i started the double clap and people went for it <laughs> that is pretty fucking yeah. cool and then you started i started a historic got, double clap yeah and i got interviewed by uh meredith vieira who is a local abc wabc news reporter wow. 
about just as like a person on the street about you know how I felt and um, that night we went back to my friend Jonathan's apartment to his mom's house on 84th and Central Park West and Hazel got really mad at me because I hadn't told her that I was going to be out late and she was probably scared uh, yeah she was scared and I got uh, so I got I remember getting in trouble for that and I was 15 you um, were young but I, I was like and I was like Hazel John Lennon was shot and she was like your mother not going to be happy. <laughs> she was not happy. <laughs> but... um, so growing up in New York is to, to grow up in New York is to be a part of history because the city is at any time, any epoch, 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 the era in which you grow up here, major things will occur. Yeah. Tragic and beautiful and exciting. And some of them will be artistic and have to do with concerts in Central Park. And some of them will be awful. And you, you, that was, wo- that's woven into the fabric of your life. Yeah. New York. Yeah. Definitely. New York is a lot of things like that. Uh, events like that happened. I was, uh, I was wondering and, and feel free to tell me if this is a, a weird connection to make, but I was just to, 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 you know, sort of close out our interview with something that I think is, seems to be fairly relevant to your life today. You're, you're so active in um, highlighting the cause of refugees around the world. And I was thinking about this and you know, you're so it's the way you use your social media is wonderful. You really use your, your, that power for good. No idea how to, you're using <laughs> it in it. a powerful, benevolent way because you're exposing a lot of people who follow you, who are fans of you from all different kinds of things to an, an issue that, that that's close to my heart, that's close to a lot of people's hearts, but that some folks don't know about. And right. I'm wondering, I was thinking about it, I was like, well, New York is a city of refugees in a lot of ways um, in people who've been displaced, um, immigrants who came here seeking a better life, people who left their hometowns because they were abused or bullied. And I'm wondering if you're growing up in New York in any way somehow led to this this activism later on. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it's directly affected it i think um i think just the experience of of living in new york is it's it's such a multicultural place that you're just you know while there are a lot of other cities that have uh you know diverse populations like la it's so much more segregated because of the geography of the place like you could just live in la you know your whole life and if you know you don't go outside of your own neighborhood like you'll never interact with someone who's outside of your uh, economic strata. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that's true. Uh, I mean, that's what happened. You know, I was there when the riots happened, and um, you just saw that. You know, just saw where it was like where the uh, boundaries were crossing over, and how and how disconnected people were. I mean, that that OJ documentary last year was really, I thought, it was amazing the way that it it showed you know what was going on and why that's LA was so much like that and New York it's not like that because everybody is on top of each other and mm-hmm. even if it was like okay you know um you know Amsterdam and Columbus are you know that's a tougher neighborhood uh and it was more hispanic and puerto rican um but it was like right there so we were you know it wasn't like you were never going to go there you had to go there and so like you got to know everybody in the neighborhood and uh i never thought of it like oh these people are you know, like, you know, my doorman is from the Dominican Republic, came here at a certain point with his family. But I never thought of it as a kid like that. I don't, you know, ever. It was just like, oh, and it's just, you know, it's that's just Pedro. It's yeah. Pedro, yeah. And uh, and I knew that, you know, he probably lived somewhere, you know, in, in Brooklyn or Queens. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, or Washington Heights was, you know, mm-hmm. a very Dominican population. And it was... Uh, you know, I I had a sense of that growing up because I knew my because my dad was from the Lower East Side, or I, you know that those and how the neighborhoods changed. It was like, oh, the Lower East Side, you know, used to be, you know, it was like very Irish and Italian, and then you know changed over, and um, same thing with Harlem and and all the neighborhoods. So that that was sort of I was aware of that, but the immigrant experience or the refugee experience, um, I don't know. I think it's just sort of like just from maybe just experience of living in New York and that being a part of, you know, just like, that's just life, you know, that we're like all sort of interacting together. And maybe it's, so maybe that it makes it sort of to me harder to understand when people don't want to be open to, uh, other people coming to this country. I can understand it from an economic point of view, but the the reality of it is it doesn't translate that way because, 
almost all refugees who come here, first of all, they all want to go home. Mm-hmm. All refugees really want to get back to their home country. And the ones who come here, uh, the small percentage, the 1% who get re- relocated to a third country after you know the vast majority of refugees are going to the neighborhood, neighboring country, wherever they're coming from, where there's a conflict, you know. Um, I think most refugees are from five countries and um, Middle East and Africa. But mm-hmm. when they come here, they work very hard and uh, disproportionately in terms of you know what their their con- uh, contribution to, is to the um, to our economic and and uh, the the, the um, you know their actual impact on our economy is real. Um, and there are a lot of success stories. Uh, so uh, that's always just been sort of to me, I guess maybe just because it's part of what I grew up with in New York. It was like the guy who had the pizza place was, I didn't even know where he was from. I knew he had some accent or whatever, but he was the guy who made the pizza. I, you know, I, I, You're all it New was, Yorkers. You all will call him New Yorkers and everyone yeah. was contributing. And, was just like, and all I saw him as was like a guy who I knew like just innately worked really hard. Like, you know, he was always like working his ass off. And, um, and you know, the same thing, you know, for most of the – uh, the people that, you know, you interact with, it just was sort of like, that's, that was, that's life. And, and, uh, and I think that is unique to New York. It's special. And it's, um, it, when you grow, I would guess that when you grow up in a city filled with however many stories now, 12 million stories, there's a lot of people in New York now. Uh, and there were tons of people there when you were growing up that, and you're on top of each other. You're surrounded by each other every day. I I imagine it would be difficult to pretend that everybody has the same point of view as you, that everybody comes from the same background as you. You can't because the reality of diversity is in your face all the time. And you, it sounds to me like you grew up with a very benevolent, beautiful, exciting, uh, happy, or just uh, pride. I don't know feeling about New York. You like New York. <laughs> so if, if, if that is your attitude, yeah. you're probably going to enjoy these, appreciate these New York values of inclusion and diversity. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's just, that was my experience being, I mean, I guess wherever you're from, when you're a kid, that experience is going to be very much a part of you if you had a happy childhood. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I had like the happiest childhood. Right. Like it's not with all wine and roses if you can but give I, wine to I, kids. Yeah. But I had probably like, I think, you know, I, the, the issues that I had in my childhood weren't, weren't coming from, you know, uh, you know, I had like food on the table, parents who loved me, maybe complicated, <laughs> a complicated sure, relationship because, here. you know, that's just, you know, people and, and, and human beings and, and, but for the most part, like very, very fortunate that way. So I think I do have, uh, generally like very good memories of New York. And I, I don't know, it's also as you get older, it's, it's really interesting that, <laughs> You become more nostalgic for the past. I, it's an interesting phenomenon. I've noticed the, for me, like the last ten years, I really value those memories a lot more, um, especially as, as you get further away from them. And uh, maybe that was part of me coming back to New York too when I moved back to New York. Uh, and the, you know, I think that's just part of like being a person when you're young, and you have that. It seeps into you. You know, like when you, the movies you watch when you're younger affect you in a way that you just can, you know, when you get older, just they don't have the same impact on you. Your brain is more elastic, li- not literally, but yeah. you absorb more as a child. That's why we absorb early trauma and that has an impact. But we also absorb early joy exactly, and that right. has an impact. Right. So all that stuff is, you know, ingrained in you. And so like when I think back to New York, um, and I just reference another Spike Lee movie, Crooklyn, that he did, mm-hmm. you know, which was his sort of, you know, memory of growing up in New York and Brooklyn. But, you know, there was a lot of, things I could identify in that movie too, but just that there's, you know, there's something about, uh, yeah, the city being your, this, like the world of the apartment building. Cause I was in an apartment building that, that being your world, you know, trick or treating, just going trick or treating wasn't going from door to door in houses. It was going up and down on the back stairs of our apartment <laughs> building and going to all the different apartments and who you'd run into. And like the weird people who lived, you know, Mr. Hames who lived on eight, B who had a Playboy subscription. So you like, cause, you know, if you go to his door and see the Playboy, I'd be like, Oh my God. Or like, <laughs> the, yeah. or they're these British twins who lived, uh, twin sisters. It's like, <laughs> it's like the pigeon sisters and uh, the odd couple, which was a big part of my childhood, uh, who lived up on the penthouse who had like this crazy art in their apartment. So like, just like these, you know, those experiences of being like the world of the building, that was a thing. And I just, all that stuff. Yeah. It's very special and kind of, um, I do have, 
fond memories of it. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming in and sitting with me and talking about all this stuff. And I want to tell, I want to apologize for something, which is that I could have bought a Tribble to give to you, and I didn't. I met someone at Comic Con who makes Tribbles. Thank you for not underlying. Underlining the nerdness. I really, I was, I, she makes tribbles. She makes tribbles? She makes tribbles. They're like throw, tribble, tribble. She's a, at adopt a tribble. I met this girl at a party and at Comic Con. And today on the way over, I was like, fuck, I should have bought a tribble and given it to Ben as a parting gift. And then I was like, that's weird, Sarah. But now I'm saying it out loud to get it off my chest. Or you could have just gotten some quadro triticale to feed the tribble. That's really cool. That's the grain that they ate. I anyway, I just showed myself the trouble with triples. <laughs> oh, you knew I love, that. Oh, okay. I, I knew that. I don't. I'm not a completist. You know way more about uh, way more than most people I think about Star Trek. But That's, I do know that because I love that episode. It's so bizarre. Yeah. And I literally so just watch. I love watching Star Trek episodes now with my kids when they'll want to watch them. Uh, because now I just obsess on like all of the little thing. Like I just look at like where the like what the carpeting look like and the you know like in the um, Kirk's quarters or like you know what like just like the, the wig line for you know, <laughs> uh, whichever characters to pay <laughs> we used to play in jersey we used to play when we would my dad would play star trek with us when we were driving um when we would approach a red light uh i think i was usually i, I was spock a lot of the time dad was always kirk my brother was scotty sometimes i was mr scott uh, dad was always kirk and we would like we talked a lot about, um, a lot about, I'm going to say, yeah, it was, it was like such a way to entertain us at red light so that we didn't freak out. It was like, we would do sketches. It was a Star based Trek based Star Trek yep. episodes. Or? Yeah, oh. it was, it was just like, he would just be like, okay, here's the deal. And he would like set the scene. He was not an actor or anything, but he would just entertain us that way because there, it's just, it's endlessly interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love Star <laughs> that's the rumor i one time i did go to an, an office that was yours at the time and and you weren't there but uh the women's bathroom um toilet seat had decoupaged uh uh star trek comics and it was like one of my first I personally you uh, <laughs> crafted that women's toilet seat that's what i that's my commitment <laughs> Detail oriented, stiller. <laughs> it's one of my first big Hollywood gen- meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so cool. It was one of my first big Hollywood meetings. I was very nervous, and I went in and I saw that, and I felt very comforted by it. Oh, really? <laughs> that's probably why. Yeah, it's probably why I, I somehow convinced <laughs> Red Hour to work with me <laughs> was because I relaxed. I was like, "Look at that. Okay, cool," and I felt better. So, thank you. As long as it was clean. It was very okay, meticulously good. clean. Good. But I was just like, that's decoupaged with cop. This is great. I feel good now. I'm not so worried anymore. So that. thanks for Makes that, Ben. That's, that's my favorite contribution that you've made to the arts ever. I've that's decided. probably my greatest one. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and uh, have a great night. Thank you. You too. So that was it. We did it. Our first episode with Ben Stiller. Please check out Escape at Donnie Mora Sunday. November 18th at 10 p.m. East. Uh, check out all the awesome stuff he does. Twitter.com slash Red Hour Ben. Instagram.com slash Ben Stiller. Uh, and, you know, all of the movies and TV things he's done that have changed your life and made the world a better place. Also, check out all of those things, please. As far as the show, please subscribe like us, rate us super high, write magical reviews wherever you access your podcasts, and check us out at twitter.com slash pod and instagram.com slash pod. And in both of those places, you can use the hashtag pod. See you next time.